So good to be together this evening. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, the, the senior pastor. And uh, I recognize that many of you here are from our church family. Some of you may be here visiting uh, with family, guests from out of town. There may be differing degrees to which you desire to be here. Uh, it may be that you're here to bless someone else with your presence. Whatever the case may be, I want you to know that we're honored to have you here. And we've prayed for this service, and we've prayed very specific prayers for this time that we have together, so that you know our desire is not just uh, a nice service, oh, wasn't that a nice service and a nice talk and, and that sort of thing. Uh, we're all about the, the name and the glory of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and lives and is worthy of our praise. And so our very specific goal is that we would all together leave this evening, uh, not so much saying, uh, what a great service, but that we would leave saying, what a great Savior. What a great and glorious Savior we have in Jesus Christ. I, I often say, those who are in the church have heard me say before, we are not a museum of perfected saints. We are a hospital for the needy and the sin-sick and the broken. And the reason that I say that is because, sadly, sometimes Christians can get that wrong and be quite self-righteous and holier than thou. And so it needs to be said that the message of Christianity is not, here is why we are morally superior to others. The message we proclaim is that we are great sinners, every one of us, and that there is mercy and forgiveness and hope that is found in Jesus Christ alone as our glorious Savior. I want to share with you from God's Word in Luke chapter 1, which is where Mary, the mother of Jesus, gives her song of praise in response to this news of a Savior. Luke 1, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the faults of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. May God bless the preaching of his word. Christmas is a time for giving and receiving presents, but there are some kinds of gifts that can in fact be difficult to receive because of what the gift says about us. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but did you know you can be given a gift 
that communicates something that is unflattering about you. Uh, so say you open a gift tomorrow from a friend. It's a book entitled The Benefits of Spending Less Time on the Sofa. And then there's another friend who gives you a gift, and it's a book entitled Overcome, Overcoming Irritability is the book. Now, if you, if you say to them, thank you so much, this is just what I needed, you would basically be admitting because I am a lazy, irritable person. Some gifts can be tough to receive because it requires admitting that we're not perfect and that we need help. And this is true of the gift of salvation that God has given the world in Jesus Christ. Uh, Tim Keller says, there has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. You see, the gift of salvation means we cannot save ourselves. And the gift of mercy implies that we are needy and sinful. But if we have the, the courage, the strength, to be honest about our sin against a holy God, to be honest about our need for a Savior, there is eternal joy and there is hope that is available for us, no matter what we have done or however broken our lives may be. Luke has already recorded in his gospel that an angel appeared to Mary, telling her that though she's never been with a man, the Holy Spirit would cause her to be pregnant with a baby who would be God in the flesh. Now that may seem far-fetched to you, a virgin birth. It seemed unbelievable to Mary at the time as well. So you're in good company. And when it comes to this question of the Christmas miracles, angels, a virgin birth, and so on, I think we should all be able to agree with this point, even if you're not a Christian, follow this, the Christmas miracles are rational for anyone who believes in a God who created the universe out of nothing, okay? And that includes, by the way, some of the world's top scientists. To say, I believe in a God who created the world out of nothing, the entire universe out of nothing, but there's no way he could possibly make one baby without a human father, is not a rational argument. Now, of course, not everyone believes in a creator, but if you don't believe in a creator, you are left to believe some rather remarkable and hopeless things about the universe. Where did all of this beauty and order come from? Someone said, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. So choose your miracle. And that's exactly right. And I share some of those things with you simply to say that the Christmas story is intellectually appealing. It is historically credible. It is spiritually satisfying. One of the themes that runs through Mary's song that we read is this idea of the proud and the humble. And you may have noticed this. Through this baby, 
what, what is God doing here? Well, he is, he is bringing down the proud, and he is lifting up the humble. This is the great reversal. Those who are proud will be opposed and judged by God, and those who are humble will be rescued and helped by God. Now, what is the difference between those two groups, the proud and the humble? The difference is not that one is less sinful than the other. The difference is this. The proud are sinful and they deny it, while the humble are every bit as sinful and they confess it. I wonder which are you? Do you have the courage to be honest about your sin against the God who made you? You may remember in the movie Elf when Buddy freaks out because his dad is on the naughty list. The Bible says that none of us are on God's good list. And that's the reason we need a savior. But it's this reality that so many people in the world today are denying. One of the great and terrible marks of our beautiful humanity is that we are all naturally proud. We're, we're always exalting ourselves. We are always minimizing our need for help. From the time that we are children, one of my kids just growing up always said, I do it myself. I do it myself. And that is a picture of every one of us. When I was a teenager, I told my parents I didn't want them telling me how to live. And then we never really grow out of this. We go through our entire lives surviving by looking down on others, viewing ourselves as superior to others in intellect, in morality, in accomplishments. Have you ever noticed this, that in, in marriage or in another relationship, whenever there are problems or conflict that enter into that relationship, we instinctively think that the biggest problem is always the other person. What's the reason for that? Or have you ever noticed that whenever we are criticized in life, we so often respond with sinful defensiveness and pride. One of my low points from this last year was that very thing in a meeting with friends, brothers, fellow pastors speaking sharply and dismissively to friends who were offering feedback. All of this is the pride that is basic to the human condition. And Mary, in her song, talks about those with pride of intellect. Verse 51, the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Pride of position. Verse 52, the mighty on their thrones. Pride of possessions and wealth. Verse 53, the rich he has sent away empty. This is a perfect description of the world that we live in today. We boast in our intellect, our power, our morality. We hate humility. Left to ourselves, we, we, we hate weakness. I saw recently uh, influencer Andrew Tate said that the problem with Christianity is weakness because the weak will always be conquered. That's the popular way of thinking. That's the way that our culture thinks about these very things. It's why we are attracted to power. We are attracted to dominance. We are attracted to self-reliance. The proud are those who exalt themselves and see no need for a savior. They are unwilling to admit their sin, 
unwilling to admit their need for a savior. The ultimate expression of pride in all of the manifestations of pride in all the world is to look at this thing that God has done in sending his son for us and saying, I have no need of Christ. I have no need of this gift of salvation. And you see what God is doing in the incarnation, in the gospel. He, he scatters and judges the proud. He brings down the mighty. He sends the rich away empty. When Christ returns, and that day is coming, those who have not treasured him and trusted him as their savior will be brought low and scattered in judgment. It is part of the message of Mary's song. But the good news for today is that this is the day of salvation. And Jesus came into the world in his great kindness to break through our pride, to break through the pride in my heart that resists God, that lives how I want to live. He came to break down that pride and he came to reveal our sin, to show us our need for him. He came to die in our place so that we might be saved from the judgment we deserve and be given eternal life in him. And here we see God rescuing the humble. God, God rescues the humble. Not the religious, not the moral, the humble. And the humble are those who, like Mary, know that they need, verse 47, a savior, who know that you need mercy from God. Mercy is repeated, verse 50, verse 54. You know what mercy, to receive mercy, mercy implies that we are all sinful and needy and wretched, that we are all in danger because of our disobedience against God. You can put it like this. Later in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story during his teaching ministry of a man who did many good works. It's a man whose life was full of generosity and prayer. He was a very religious man. And this man went to church and he prayed, as he often did, and said, God, I'm grateful that I'm not like thieves and adulterers and the morally corrupt, those who are the problem in this world, or that I'm not like this sinner, pointing to a tax collector who was there. The other man who was there, this tax collecting sinner, knowing that he had nothing to bring to God but his own sin, we are told he simply cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what? He is the one, Jesus says, who is accepted by God rather than the other. For, Jesus says in the very next verse, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, it's the great reversal. It's God taking those who exalt themselves and humbling them and taking the humble and exalting them. Every humble, repentant sinner will be exalted and rescued by God God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And every proud, pharisaical, self-confident man or woman will be brought low and stands condemned. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, is 
the voice of the humble. And part of the whole beauty of Christianity is that unlike any man-made religion, it offers a voice of humility in an age of arrogance. Other religions of the world and all the common ways of thinking agree that not everyone deserves to go to heaven, the Hitlers of the world and so on. But the popular thinking is that some people go to, to heaven or paradise and some are eternally judged. But the different, what's the difference? Well, they say the difference is how good you have been. This often means that you would say that you're going to heaven because you are better than others. Christianity does not say that. Christianity doesn't say we're going to heaven because we're better than others. Christianity says no one is good enough to get to heaven. The thing that everyone in heaven will have in common is that we will all know and believe that we don't deserve to be there. We are only there by mercy, only there by grace. Friends, the only way to eternal life is to humbly admit that we deserve eternal judgment. Thinking that we deserve heaven is arrogant. But Christianity says that salvation is freely given as a gift because of Christ who came and was born and lived a perfect life and died in our place and rose from the dead on the third day that we might have life in his name. The people God blesses. This is what I want to leave us with this Christmas Eve. The people God blesses are those who know their need. You may not have much in life. Perhaps you've made a mess of what you did have. Foolishly squandering wealth. Ruining relationships. Self-destructive habits. You are aware of your failures. Friends, there's good news for you this Christmas, and that is that Christ came for the needy. Christ came as a Savior who exalts the humble. And it says in verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. That fill, he has satisfied the hungry. And Mary's speaking here primarily of our spiritual need for God and our spiritual hunger for God. Jesus was born to bring lowly sinners like you and me many good things. He was born to fill the hungry with good things, namely the forgiveness of sins and eternal life and the removal of the fear of death and peace with God forever. You see, later, the Lord Jesus Christ would bring the greatest reversal of all because he was born to die. And he freely laid down his life in his great love for sinners taking the judgment, the divine judgment that we deserve. But then came the great reversal when through his death comes resurrection life and through shame comes victory and through humility comes exaltation and glory. Will you humble yourself today? Will you join in the humility of Mary and all of the saints who have acknowledged their need for a Savior? Will you admit your sin against God and your need for the salvation that Christ alone brings? I can tell you today that there is no joy like the joy of seeing our need for a Savior, our need for mercy and help, and seeing that need met so fully and so gloriously in Christ alone.
Do not go the way of this world. Everything that this world boasts in, all of our intellect, our morality, our riches, every boast is destroyed by this child. He scatters the proud. He shames the strong. But for those who are lowly and weak, he helps the humble and he fills the hungry with good things so that we all, knowing our desperate need for a Savior, can join with Mary and sing the song that she sang, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Does your soul magnify the Lord? That's the whole question. Do you realize that this glorious Savior is worthy of your life, worthy of your all, worthy of your trust, worthy of your praise? If so, we will be able to join with Mary and say, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. May that joy, the joy of Christ, the joy of Christmas, be yours this Christmas season. Amen and Merry Christmas.